Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild, make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart, and you come up to the the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. Welcome to The Journey, and this strange voice you're hearing is me, Chris Powell, and I'm taking over the mic from Heath. He's been on the road out representing Houndsman. Just got back from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, spent a few days up there with the Go Wild crew. He's reporting an awesome week with Braden and Jacob up there from Go Wild and Dan, and I'm meeting several Houndsmen up there. But the reason I'm taking over is I got the opportunity to talk to Giannis Patelis from Meat Eater. Giannis, if you follow him on social media or follow anything that Meat Eater does, then you know that Giannis is hunted all over North America from Alaska to the Rocky Mountains. Very accomplished hunter. And then a few years ago, about three years ago, he picked up a hound and had the bug to start hunting with a hound. We're going to talk about his transition into hound hunting, talk about his journey as a houndsman. 
He and Mangus are out there catching lions now, and we're just going to talk about what it took to get there, the development of those hounds, and, and the rewards that he's feeling from seeing that dog work. We're going to talk about some predisposed ideas he may have had before hunting with hounds and how he looks at it now. This is going to be a great podcast. I know you're going to enjoy it, and a story like this can only be told on the journey. You bet. It's oh, like good. studio quality. Well, that's what we uh, go for here over at Meat Eater at my house. So uh, good. <laughs> yeah, you bet, man. COVID was was good for that kind of stuff. You know, it made us made us all uh, up our game a little bit. Oh yeah, totally, totally. You, and we realize guys... it's, it's really nice because we don't have to go to the office anymore. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So were you out hunting this morning? Nope. 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 Slept slept in this. I should have. Uh we had a nice dusting this morning. Would have been a good morning, but I had I got a full day of stuff. So I probably could have just gone to look for tracks, but I also need to be around the house helping out get getting kids out of the door, you know. Man, I get I'm past those days, Giannis. Past it. All my kids are grown up and out of the house. So um yeah, it's it's kind of a new new phase of life for us. Empty nest. Yeah, no grandkids yet. <clears throat> Not yet. The um, everybody's holding out on us. I told them I'm gonna be old and decrepit, and if if they wait too long, I won't be able to take them take them bear hunting and lion hunting by the time they're old enough to mm-hmm. go. So nope, not yet. No grandkids. Well, I thought we'd just um uh, uh, talk about where you got Mingus and how you came about it and um you know, just kind of tell the Giannis Patello story and how you got into hounds and and what sparked your interest there yeah you bet um I had slight interest uh probably a little bit before getting Mingus uh Steve and I did a hunt with uh Bruce Duncan and uh Bart George up there in uh, northern Idaho and uh i think that was my first actual lion hunt i went on it sort of opened my eyes to what really goes on you know in a lion hunt and uh we worked our tails off i think we finally got one on the third day and it was every day was like high the high was negative too you know it was yeah it was chilly um so so what was your what were your impressions like what did you go into that hunt with what what were you what were you guys thinking you were getting yourselves into well i can't speak for steve but um you know myself i I had chatted a lot with bart george leading up to it because i was producing the the meat eater show at that point and so i was learning a lot just in the pre-production of and and learning a lot as far as like what was going to happen and just that's a big part of making good television is anticipating the action so that you know your cinematographers that have probably never been on a line hunt either can also be anticipating what's going to happen and they can be in position you know to get the good shots to get the good dialogue etc so um you know i i definitely i think they're common misconceptions but i definitely had them um 
probably the biggest, I think, misconception I had is that, you know, the whole time the dogs are running, there's a cat running out in front of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they're um, looking at it, like they're sight chasing it. Well, just that, yeah, I, I don't think, I think that it took me even a while after I got into it to understand that really 90, nine percent of the the chase isn't really a chase and the the name the word chase is is sort of a bad representation of what goes on because it's really a tracking job to me now right like my dog is tracking for many miles sometimes hours and then there's a jump and then there's a chase and i think that for at least from my experience that chase is pretty short most of the time bobcat's different story but with lions, it seems like they just they don't have the lungs, right, to outrun a hound. And uh, you know, a couple of times with Bart helping working with Bart and his project, we got to witness, you know, because you can they have those cats, cats right. GPS collared, and mm-hmm. so you can see them maybe doing one uh, double back kind of move or trying to evade the dogs. But as soon as the dogs sort the track out and, you know, get on it, it's, it seems like this track is like the, the chase is actually pretty short. Um, you're starting to sound like a seasoned lion hunter, Giannis. You better be careful, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to get to be a seasoned lion hunter. I'm a seasoned, uh, a uh, guy that goes and looks for tracks at this point, whether I'm a lion hunter, I don't know, but I'm pretty good at driving around at least pretending like I'm going to find a lion track. At some oh yeah. Point. My, my game for the looks is, I mean, I'm right there. I've got, I've got all the gear and I've got the long range antenna on top of the truck. So, so I'm right there <laughs> with you, man. I can, I can drive down the road and, and look the part. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know if I had uh it's hard to remember. It was a while ago um, when I when I went and did that hunt. But anyways, I didn't have any real plans of becoming a hound hunter. I had a buddy here in town who, you know, I'd call him an acquaintance at that point who was super into it, um, had actually lion hunted and bobcat hunted a long time and then went away from it and went to running beagles for rabbits because he felt like there's the competition for lions had gotten too stiff <laughs> and then uh he came back to lions and bobcats yeah um, that's cool that's a cool story yeah it is it is i'm gonna, but, have, to, uh, I'm gonna have to interview him for the podcast see what his uh, see what his transition years look like you should very interesting <laughs> fella has a there's i don't think there's many people in the great state of montana that probably uh catch more lions annually than he does mm. uh his his year is set up to where uh, he makes his living not between December and March. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, like don't he told plan me the other anything. day, if you want to be a really successful lion hunter, yeah, if you want to be a successful lion hunter, you either have to have zero responsibilities or access to a huge ranch that has great road system through it. Um, mm. Those are the two ways that you can sort of you know beat beat the odds right with because for me i get to go check once or twice sometimes you know three times a week um and uh you know (laughs) it's a as we all know now it's a it's a game of numbers and having to just be out there looking 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 to eventually find them um but back to the how i became a hound hunter and the owner of mingus uh we were shopping for a dog 
we wanted a family dog. I definitely wanted some sort of a hunting dog. And I had, I wasn't in too much of a rush. Uh, and, and I had been shopping for a solid year and I had probably researched almost every single hunting dog variety out there. And I had pitched them all to the family and I was looking at even, I love squirrel hunting with dogs. So we were looking yep. at a squirrel, squirrel dog, but the closest good squirrel hunting to us is a couple hours away. And I just didn't think that I would be able to, you know, make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the kids got fed up with my shopping <laughs> and one day I got a phone call from my wife and she said, there's three uh, blue tick coon hounds down at this, uh, uh, I think it's called the Stafford shelter in Livingston, Montana. And uh, we're headed down there. And if you want to be a part of this, you better meet us <laughs> down there. So uh, I'm like, okay. I said, but you know what happens when you take the kids down to the pound and there's a couple of fresh puppies, like we're not, you're not leaving without one. And uh, sure enough, we get down in there and uh, the guy even like opens the candle door and sticks my kids in there with the three puppies. And, you know, they're just having a blast. And so, yeah, we actually picked the runt because the other two were the one, the bigger one. And I, I don't know if it was just because they were all probably malnourished and one of them had just come out on top but he was rambunctious and just seemed real crazy. Mingus mm-hmm. was being really mellow. He also had the prettiest markings. Um, and so we chose him because he was being chill. He had the pretty markings, chose him. And uh, yeah, at that point I said, well, I guess when, you know, the universe gives you a hound dog, you got to become a hound hunter. And, yeah. uh, and so then I, with my buddy Jake that uh, I was speaking of earlier, he, uh, you know, we started doing the uh, raccoon thing in the cage and just getting Mingus fired up on that smell. And then we, uh, we, I trapped a few raccoons and would, you know, cut them loose in a field, get, let them have a whatever, couple minute head start, put Mingus on them. And uh, he definitely treated a few coons before we got into lions, but I didn't do. I don't know. Retrospectively looking at it, I don't think I did a whole bunch of training with them. I mean, we definitely did some drags and a buddy of mine uh, gave me the tail of a, from a cougar. And so I was able to drag that scent around. Um, It seemed like most of the training actually came from training him off of deer. um, That's right. And moose and, you know, whatever (laughs) else he runs into, you know? Yeah. Well, the first time I talked to you or I met you, I think, you were talk. we were talking about hunting, you know, coon hunting south of Bozeman there or somewhere around Bozeman when I was out there working, we never pulled that together. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think at that time your, your plan was just to, you know, have a dog that you could take out and tree a few raccoons and, and things like that. Did, did you actually have the intention of, of going out and freezing your tail off and, and hiking around in the snow, chasing lions? you know if i didn't then i'm i'm just i guess i'm i i can't quite recollect but i'm pretty sure that uh the coons were just going to be a a stepping stone not that i don't okay. like doing still the coons now but i i think that obviously living where we do in bozeman you know there are coons there's that opportunity there's bobcats and there's lions all to you know chase with a hound mm-hmm. dog so um I can't that, imagine. Yeah, that's it. I can't imagine living in Bozeman 
and not, you know, having a hound and not getting out there and trying to catch bobcats and lions. I can't even imagine doing that. So, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a hoot, you know, and it's it's you know it's something that I can do close to home, which is a great thing. Um, yeah, you and, spend uh, a lot of time on the road with your job with meat eater and and i mean there's videos you've you've hunted the in alaska on the north face and so it probably is kind of a relief to have something close to home for you yeah uh that was mingus there i don't know what he's working <laughs> on um yeah it's nice to have it close to home and it's nice to have something that's such a great adventure you know i think that's really one of the things that has uh you know, got me fired up about hound hunting is that it seems like there's few other things that I go do where the adventure and, and I think it kind of depends on how you define adventure, but sort of the unknown factor, mm -hmm. um, which is why I, you know, why a lot of people don't like canned hunts or release pheasants, right? You kind of go there and you're going to know, you know what you're getting into, you know, you know, there's right. going to be 20 birds that eventually fly up. Right. And it just mm -hmm. seems like when you cut that hound loose in the mountains, you know, sometimes five minutes later, you can, they're not even out of earshot and you can hear them bark and treat. I've, I've had that happen to me. And then other times where you think you're going to be done by nine or 10 in the morning and you're hiking out in the dark that night <laughs> and you've crossed over two drainages and you've eaten every sandwich and, you know, trail bar in your, in your backpack. And, uh, you know, it, it's just cool. And it, it takes you to places or takes me to places that I might not otherwise ever get to. Um, that's what I try to like tell people. Yeah. I, I yeah. try to tell people that in my messages too, I was just speaking at the American bear foundation banquet in Cody last weekend. And I just told him, I was like, you know, there's a lot of places these hounds take me when I'm standing up there and I'm looking down like in North Fork, area up in you know northern idaho there's places there that a normal person wouldn't say hey let's just go down there and see what that looks like you mm -hmm. know but when your dogs are there and they're treed you're going yeah for sure i mean it adds adds to that adds to that level too so so have you got have you got him broke off all trash is he still running moose i have a heck of a time when i go out there with moose yeah <laughs> i th i think as far as cervids go I can pretty much trust him. Like it's been a Good. quite a while since I've seen him like, and again, it's so tough because when a dog's 500 yards away from you and you're only watching his actions through your GPS, you, you don't really know. Right. I mean, yeah. maybe he peels off and runs a moose for 50 yards, but just by we run like trail run a lot together in the summer and and again, I know dogs act differently when their owner is, you know, within <laughs> sight, but it, it nowadays, it sure seems like if he sees a deer, he's like, I'm looking the other way. You know, if he sees right, a moose, right. he's coming right back to me. Yeah. And those moose are, you know, they're pretty intimidating and mm -hmm. he doesn't, he knows that I think a moose can cause a little bit of, you know, problem for him. Now, coyotes and foxes. Are a different story. Coyotes. I had the opportunity the other day where I saw him, you know, peel off on a fresh coyote track, and he followed it, you know, a solid twenty yards, long enough where I had the time to, you know, get the controller out, give him a good zap, and turn him off of that track mm -hmm. and scold him a little bit, you know. Now, 
unfortunately, you know, I, again, I'm green to it. I didn't know that there was a difference between, you know, obviously they smell different, different, mm-hmm. but you, I guess it just assumed that a Fox wouldn't be that different. Well, the other day he went, you know, bananas and I was in deep mm-hmm. snow and a couple hundred yards away from where he opened up he was just free casting and we were in a spot where i've caught lions in the past so i thought oh here we go and uh, it took me a good bit just to make it those 200 yards and once i got over there and found his tracks and started following his tracks and then i could see the the fox tracks i'm like oh come on (laughs) so you know again he's not a hundred percent broke off of the non non non-target animals but uh i hopefully it seems like he gets real frustrated when he ch- when he chases those foxes and coyotes, and you can just kind of hear it in his voice. Yeah, um, it's not that same, just super eager, super intensive. Intense. Well, he's probably thinking he's like he's probably thinking, man, I can't help myself. I got to do it, but I know what's coming. Oh man, here, but this is fun. You know, they yeah. they go through that, but foxes and coyotes and. The hound's nose is such an amazing thing. Uh, the way they can discriminate against different scents and 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 how they can they can keep that all straight. We've done a ton of podcasts on that, but I get I want to know. So, where are you getting your information? There's tons of there's people of all uh, levels of of their in their journey here on this houndsman journey that they're taking, and mm-hmm. um, so. Where are you getting your information? Because from where I'm sitting, Giannis, I mean, you take a dog from a shelter, you bring it home, um, and now, what are you, two years into it, and you're catching lions with with Mangus? Mm-hmm. I think it'd be a great um, piece of information for an encouragement for some some of the newer people to understand where you're getting your information and how you're uh, developing Mangus as a new houndsman. That's one of the main questions I get all the time. Hey, I'm getting started. What advice do you have? And I'm 40 some years into it. So I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear from you about where you're getting your information and how you're approaching the training with your hound. Because to me, when, when I get questions like that, it's kind of like, you know, it's almost that primacy effect where it's like, you say, what do you mean you don't know? You know, and, and I got to be careful about that. Well, I, I've been lucky, certainly first and foremost, and certainly the majority, the lion's share of the information that I get to bring in comes from uh, my main mentor. And that's uh, th- this fellow, Jake, that I that I hunt with. Yeah. That has helped me out a lot. And like I said, he's, you know, he's been at it for two decades, maybe three decades now. And and it just is an amazing wealth of knowledge. Um, so, and then, you know, again, through meat eater, you know, I've been lucky. Like I said, I met those fellows in Northern Idaho. I've stayed in touch with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I've met some of Bart George's other, uh, you know, buddies that run that, uh, Eastern Washington stayed in touch with them. So I, I, I'm in the, a great, a very lucky position to be in where I, I, I don't have, there's not a shortage of people that I can call that know a, a lot more than I do about the topic. Um, that can help me out about it. But that being said, I definitely, I'm trying to remember all I read, uh, 
the Tree Dog Encyclopedia. Is that mm-hmm. Wick that wrote yeah, that John, one? John Wick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read, uh, is it Del Cameron? Yep. Called Raised by a Hound. Yep. Called by the Hounds. Raised by a Call- Hound Dog was, um, oh, was that, that wasn't Vans. That was, uh, oh, not Van Johnson. Raised by a Hound Dog was um, the guy, Ed Vance. Yeah. In Northern uh, California. Ed Vance. Yeah. That's right. So any of those, like the top, whatever, probably 10, you know, hound hunting books that were recommended to me early on, you know, I bought them all immediately, went through all those, um, certainly listened to a lot of episodes of, uh, your podcast of, uh, the W podcast, any podcast that Clay Newcomb did around that's you know, bad hounds. information that's bad information. <laughs> <laughs> um you know even if it wasn't necessarily about lion hounds you know i'd listen to what they were talking about you know bear hounds but like anything and it probably extends way beyond the hunting world but it's certainly from my experience in the in the journey of hunting you can't you can talk to all the people you want to talk to listen to all the podcasts you want to want that you want but what's going to get you you know your own knowledge and your own confidence and 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 actually learn and it's just going to be going out there and putting the time in yourself um, yeah boots on I, the ground there, there's there's probably very few ways i think where you could be out there if as long as you're trying to participate i don't think there's there's few ways that you could actually be doing some kind of uh harm you know to your to your journey or to your dog's journey it just doesn't it just seems like you do it and you're going to figure out you know to go left or right or to go forwards or backwards and what's going to be right and wrong and um you know just just repetition repetition and persistence it seems like in this game um you know i finally just feel like i can go faster than five miles an hour down even even in perfect conditions with a fresh skiff of snow you know go down the road faster and just and go by a deer track and and without stopping go yep deer track yep deer track yep elk right. track and then when something looks you know more cat-like whether it's a you know a uh, wolf around here or a cat you know that immediately kind of sticks in my eye and you know i, mm-hmm. I pump the brakes but uh I'll yeah, tell you, I mean, that's, I'll tell you, tell you a funny story. <clears throat> I'll tell you a funny story about the ability of guys, experienced cat hunters. Where the first time I lion hunted was in uh, the Bitterroot, and man, I was I was trashing all day long in that truck. Every time we drove by an elk track, be what's that? What's that? There's a there's a there's a cat track, and Mike Ritchie mm-hmm. would just like he wouldn't even look up. I mean, he just. He's like, no, those are elk. Those are elk. Those are elk. That's a deer. That's an elk. And I was just over there opening and striking on every track I saw, you know. And uh, and then I was with Kevin Hall over in around uh, Incom, Idaho. And we're driving down the road. And I'm not kidding you, honest. We were driving 30 miles an hour down the road. And he was riding. I was driving. And uh, we were on, you know, blacktop. And I'm just cruising along, and he's like, "There's a lion track back there." And I, I looked at him. I said, "You are. There is no way you saw that <laughs> lion track." He goes, "Yeah." Turn around. We'll get. Sure enough, we get back there. The dude was under a sage bush, coming out 
and I, I couldn't believe it. I took pictures of it. The, the, the ability to spot those tracks that these guys have is amazing to me. Well, it comes down to, I mean, it's similar to when you're glassing, you know, for elk, let's just say on a distant hillside or, or just a thousand yard hillside. And when you first start glassing, you're looking everywhere. And then right. eventually you realize, well, I don't have to look everywhere. I have to look where the elk should be. Right. And I think right. it's it's similar with those tracks where there's just places that they like to frequent, that they like to, they like to the way that they, when you understand how they use the topography and how they use the features of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those cats, they hunt the edges just like a good, you know, human hunter does. Right. Yeah. Um, and they hunt the edges of the timber and open space. They hunt the edges of canyons. Um, and so that's the place to look. And certainly, like, I've learned that one big time. Like, any track that I can't decipher, like, a uh, hot tip is to walk that thing 20 yards to where the track goes near a tree, under a tree, under a bush, because it might be a lot less snow. It might be just better snow conditions mm-hmm. for the print. Maybe you run across some mud where there's a better print. And then all of a sudden you've got your, you know, you got just so much, so many more clues to the, to the puzzle. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's been a fun journey for sure. Have you, have you been worried about, cause you guys have some wolves in that country. Yeah. You got, you got wolves. So have you been worried about that? Cause I've, I've seen some video lately where, um, Mangus is treated by himself and, and you're catching some lions by yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that thought cross your mind? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, the other day we actually had a wolf that was on my snowmobile track from the time I went to get Mingus, and that by the time Mingus and I came back out, there was a, a single track on this on my snowmobile track. So the wolf had run it, you know, mm. whatever in the prior couple hours. Um, if I see a fresh wolf track, like, and it's fresh, I know from the night before and it's going into the country that, you know, we might be going and and hunting, like, I'll probably just not even go and look for cat tracks in that zone. The other day we were out on a, you know, not a super long, I don't know, like a two hour snowmobile ride, kind of a check and halfway into it, we ran across where a whole, I mean, so many wolves had gotten onto the snowmobile track that you couldn't see the track anymore. And I couldn't tell how many wolves were in, wow. in this bunch. I mean, it was a, it was a good sized group of animals. And so obviously when you, when I see that, I just, I bail, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you just hope that when you, when I cut them loose as, uh, and again, I don't know if it really matters if, if you got two dogs or six dogs, uh, I think a pack of wolves is going to overtake most uh you know packs of hounds unless you have some kind of a wolfhound running in there too maybe but um yeah hopefully that i just can't cut the track or see some sign of the wolf before i cut mingus loose uh yeah. so it's definitely always a worry um you know the same way that you know mingus get you know baying a cat that is approachable because he doesn't actually the other day he actually treed one I didn't get to see it because the cat jumped before I got there, but it was on a leaner. Um, and it, yeah, yeah, maybe the maybe the diameter of the tree was too small that Mingus didn't feel comfortable because I've seen him get into trees that he can, if he can walk up them or climb up them, he will. And so why he didn't, I I don't know. Like I said, maybe the diameter was too small, but uh, yeah. There's always that worry that you know he gets in too close and gets swiped or chomped. 
But uh, again, from my limited experience and talking to the people that have a bunch of experience that, that I, you know, bounce thoughts off of all the time. It seems like those that have lost dogs to cats, they, it never happened to a single dog. It was a, it, there was a pack of dogs in there and it was the circumstances of the tree or the bay where the dogs were able to get too close to that lion mm-hmm. And the lion just, you know, they it has enough of the pestering and it, you know, swipes them or, you know, it chomps them or whatever it is. And again, I just don't know if having six dogs or one dog is going to get me, get you out of that predicament. One, one dog, there's a couple things I think that happens here. I've seen it in bear hunting a lot. Uh, you know, one dog knows he respects that bear or that lion a lot more by mm. himself. Now you get two of them together. So the rule is, you know, one young dog, half a brain, two young dogs, no brain. You know, they just, uh. <laughs> they get that motivation. They're like teenage kids. You know, you send a teenage boy up to the, he's not going to jump off the dock, if, but you get his buddies around and we're mm-hmm. all doing backflips and we're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And sure. uh, I've seen that. I've seen that behavior come out. It's something clicks in there with the pack mentality and they get bold. And, and then the other problem is if you've got, you know, four or five dogs that are, they're all of a sudden bold, a lot of ledged out stuff gets hairy because you get these narrow ledges, Mm -hmm. you get several dogs that are, that are trying to bay this lion and the dog in front can't get out of the way. You know, they just, they end up getting caught. They've got the grit. They've got the tenacity to get in there and and do their job. And a lot of times the cheerleaders won't let them get out of the way when they they need to be zigging and they zag and boom, there you go. You got a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so. I imagine with those ledges, when you when you have a a pack in there that's going bananas, that uh, it's easy for a dog to go off the ledge, whether they're yeah. you know pushed by the line or pushed by one of their pack mates or whatever it might be, but. Um, those falls can probably be pretty dre- detrimental to a hound. Yeah, I've never, I've never lost a hound on a ledge like that. But uh, man, that that takes a whole. Those guys that are hunting that that Red Rock country and stuff down in Utah, where they legend four or five lines a year, mm-hmm. it makes me pucker. I mean, getting out there. Yeah, and, have you? And, ha- go ahead. I was just going to ask you, have you ever lost uh, a dog to, to a lion or a bear? No, never have. And that's because yeah. I've, you know, I've got half-assed dogs, but, um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm a guy with some dogs that will chase a bear. And I tell everybody, my dogs would be a lot better if they had a real bear hunter behind them. Um, mm. but no, I have never lost a dog. Now, um, I know several people that have lost them to wolves. Um, mm-hmm. some of the houndsmen that I know, let me think, I'm trying to think if I know of a, uh, Cleve Dwyer lost some hounds to a lion a couple weeks ago over in Nevada. That was a, a bad situation. Uh, he's, he's one of the most recent ones that I know of that have, that have actually lost, lost hounds to lions. Bears, um, it's, com- it's a little more common. A little more common than it happens there you know you get into those thick laurel thickets or i don't know how we haven't lost them we've we've caught them in caves and rocks and everything else and i've just been lucky. the journey on houndsman xp has teamed up with one tdc 
This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to worksowell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always a worry, but it's like life is full of these worries. And if, you know, if you don't want to, uh, die, then you should probably never drive a vehicle. Right. Um, right. And there, I mean, there, there's the chances of you driving your dog around in your truck and killing him that way are probably higher than chasing lions and well, bears. That's, that's interesting. You say that Giannis, because the only place I've ever lost hounds is on the road, you know, being struck by vehicles. And uh, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a ever a situation where you thought it was likely to happen. You know, it was always, um, you know, a, a non busy country road way out in the boonies, you know, and you don't ever expect, expect to lose a hound there. But every time you turn a hound loose, you're taking a risk of, of never seeing that hound again, whether it be, you know, losing them in a, a, a cave under a brush pile in a well, getting hit on the road. I mean, there's a lot of risks involved to it for sure, but the same thing can be said for, you know, mama's couch potato. They get out of the house and before you know it, they're lost out in the world. And, and so it's not something that's unique to houndsmen. Mm -mm. So but, um, all right. So I'd like to know what kind of, what kind of transferable skills did you bring? Cause you're an accomplished big game hunter, Giannis. I mean, you guided, you've, you've been a professional guide, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. You've hunted all over North America. I know, I don't know if you've hunted anywhere besides that or not, but, but what kind of transferable skills did you bring into hound hunting? Um, that have that have helped you uh good question um the reason account, while, while, you're while you're thinking about it the reason i'm asking the question is because we have several people that are that are coming into hunting hounds or accomplished mule big game hunters deer hunters ungulates elk and it's like hey i thought i'd give the hound hunting thing a try and and so I'm curious what kind of skills you brought with you from, from that world. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause it doesn't seem like a lot of like the actual hunting skills transfer over too much. I mean, certainly just knowing how to operate in the mountains or, you know, in the woods, wherever you you're doing your big game hunting and then doing your hound hunting, I mean, that's certainly a skill that transfers over and mm -hmm. just being com comfortable out there, um, knowing what to pack along so that you're, you know, you don't get up a Creek with no paddle, so to speak. Right. Um, what about like what woodsmanship skills? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, knowing where elk are, knowing where the food sure. sources are. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly applying, I I guess, some of those tactics of like, okay, where do you find deer? Because obviously now when I'm looking for lion tracks, the lions are going to be where the deer are. So you have to figure figure out where the deer are, then you know where the lions are. Yep, they're going to be one one place in the spring, one place in the fall, someplace else in the dead of winter. Yeah. And same thing with the bobcats. You know, they tend to occupy a little different habitat than the lions. You know, they're going to be where there's a whole, where you got a whole bunch of rabbits around here or snowshoe hares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And that's how you'll find them. But I got to say, it's really probably been the the opposite direction, I think, where I feel like I've been learning or at least honing. You know, I've, I've said this a bunch that prior to getting into hound hunting, always the best woodsmen I knew were either trappers or hound hunters. And that's, I think a lot of it has to do with just that they have to, you're forced to pay so much closer attention to, you know, tracks, habitat, et cetera, whatever it is, because, you know, somehow it's just harder, uh, the trapping and the hound hunting, I think. And so you're forced to, uh, look at stuff uh, with just a, a with a little more detail, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that that then helps me in my big game hunting. There, yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. We've talked about that before, but I really considering considering the fact that you have had a lot of experience hunting other big game species. To hear you say that. Uh, kind of validates it makes you know that's that's a pretty good compliment for houndsmen because i think there is a lot of stuff that goes into it you know the first rule of thumb is if you want to catch lions you got to go where the lions are and Mm -hmm. and in order to go there you got to know where they're at and where they're at different times of the year what they're feeding on and to do that then you have to know where your your prey species are same way with bobcats so yeah i'm i'm glad you said that Glad yeah, you said that. and you know, for, for really, when you're looking for a lion, you're not looking for the lion. You know, you're just looking for its track, and uh-huh. it's such a low density animal. There's not a lot of tracks left behind. Where, you know, you can go, you can be a lifelong deer hunter, and really never pay. If there's probably going to be people that aren't going to agree with me here, but I I feel like you could be That's a lifelong right. deer hunter and never really pay that close attention to deer tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, you see them and you can go, oh, yeah, look, here's a crossing on the road or oh, here's a main trail. But that's, you know, I would call that a very casual observer of deer tracks, right? There's mm-hmm. very few people, I think, that with deer hunters, like, really get in there and start to think about, okay, what else is this track telling me? You know, size of the animal. Um, is it walking? Is it running? Well, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. What was it doing here? And then trying to track it in any kind of conditions other than, you know, the perfect, you know, just slightly wet soil or, you know, sandy soil that really shows a track well. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people do you know that can track a deer through, you know, three inches of oak leaves? Um, oh, I, I know I can't. <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah, for um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely a, a just a, a a little more uh, attention to detail that uh, that those trappers and, and hound hunters have that you know h- helps them be good big game hunters. One of the cool things too, I'm I know you've seen this, especially working with Bart 
um, the ability of the houndsman to be selective. Uh, it's it's totally unique to I think it's more more unique than any other type of hunting. Obviously, you know, a seasoned hunter can look across look through glass across a canyon and and really tune in and know exactly what he's looking at when he's looking at a bear or a lion. But you definitely can't sex one at a thousand mm -hmm. yards. And have you noticed what's what's been your opinion about that part of we call it the the only form of catch and release hunting we can walk in there we can look at a lion we can look at a bear we get a i mean we interact with them up close and get to see that have you have you noticed that or enjoyed that part of it yeah 100 um you know i'm certainly looking to eventually hopefully one day maybe it'll be this wednesday when i go out but you know i'd like to harvest a lion i'm i'm I'm, I'm being a little specific. I'd like, you know, but not, not too. I feel like I'm, I feel like my goal is not set too high. I'd like to harvest like a male that's like 120 pounds or, or more. Right. Uh -huh. Like, which would, I, I think by my calculations and experience that you're looking at like a mature male that's out on his own. Right. And yeah. I'm just, you know, up to this point, you know, I just, everything's been, hundred or less or you catch the female and then on the other side of the ridge you catch the young male and they're probably associated you know th that mm -hmm. male's probably still running with mom um and uh, just haven't found you know haven't found the round right one and and honestly it's like uh, to me the hunt's kind of over once the cat's in the tree and your your dog's tree in it you know the the harvesting or the killing of that animal at that point um it's definitely uh anticlimactic, right? <laughs> Amen. It really I mean, is. I mean, and that's true. I mean, honestly, I don't feel much different when I, you know, kill a turkey or kill a bull elk, right? Like mm -hmm. I live for the chase and for the pursuit. And, you know, once you kill those animals, it's like, okay, well, we're not chasing anymore. Now we're working because now gotta, we're working. You know, pack this sucker out. At least a turkey is not too much work to pack out. And there's certainly there's joy and there's, uh, you know, relief and, and finishing the hunt by killing an animal. And, uh, I'm not saying by any means, I don't like doing that. Uh, I, right. I, by all means do, but, um, you know, to po poking a lion at 20 yards in a tree, you know, it doesn't take a lot of skill on my part. Uh, I think that this, the skill and the hunt was all in the years leading up to that moment um when it finally happens uh all right so since so yeah it's it's great i, I love i love catch and release mountain lion hunting it's a little my wife looks <laughs> at it a little bit like uh like i'm you know steve's used this term in the past like worrying wildlife yeah like so you where you're like just you know messing with them just uh, just a little bit but <laughs> again the infrequency that mingus and i actually get to worry a lion I don't think that there it, we're not sort of adding up to um, enough wor worrying of that animal that it's going to be detrimental to its uh, to its its uh, life here on Earth, right? Right. I right. mean, it probably gets run up uh, into trees by more wolves Absolutely. around here yes. than they do a hound. There, there was, I'm, I'm not even going to bring it. I'll talk to you about this off air. Cause I'll, I'll stick my foot in my mouth and I can't, I can't back it up with the, I don't want somebody hearing me say it. And then 
and then getting misinformation. So, but, um, all right. So I, I can't believe I'm getting ready to call you a rookie hunter, Giannis, but, um, uh, I am, that's fine. <laughs> that's a joke, but okay. So do you think that your opinion would be different if you were not a houndsman now about the excitement of, of pulling the trigger? Do you, do you find yourself looking at uh, this hunting experience in a different way than now that you've got some skin in the game with Mingus, do you, do you look at it different now? And you're speaking of, of precisely like the moment of truth, like when you're going to take the animal's life. Yeah. I'm just, just all of it. I mean, the, the let me try to rephrase it a little bit. Do you, have you got a different, um, have you got a different impression of, have your feelings changed about hunting with hounds now that you have a hound? Uh, your your outlook on it that you talked about. I guess my original question was: Do you think it would have been different if you were if you were a paid client coming out to to hunt with somebody that had hounds? Mm-hmm. You're an out with an outfitter. Do you think the experience is different for them than what it would be for you now that you have have your own hound? Oh, hundred percent. I don't, I don't think you could, you can't really compare the two. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't, like you said, they don't have that skin in the game. Um, and again, I, you know, my circumstances is so different from most people because again, I just have s- such a, a deep, uh, Rolodex, you know, if you're younger than 40, they don't even know what Rolodexes are anymore, but uh, my phone is full <laughs> of so many contacts where I've, it's just, it's just been able to open up my mind without ever really having to, you know, experience a lot of these things myself, just because I've met people that when I talk to them, I trust what they say. Mm -hmm. And that has, that has colored how I feel. So, you know, even before Steve did that hunt, I had talked to enough houndsmen to know that the hunt is in that pursuit and in finding the tracks and training the dogs and all that. And, I've heard plenty of stories. And again, if you like to shoot stuff with a bow, this is not against a knock against guys that shoot stuff with a bow. I like to shoot stuff with a bow a lot. Right. Right. But to shoot a lion with a bow to me is kind of like, eh, I don't really get it because to me, I just don't see, you know, the, the reason. And I've talked to enough outfitters that have had clients that had to shoot him with a pistol uh, mm-hmm. couldn't get it done with the pistol. So they shot him with a rifle, but then took the picture with the pistol. Right. And people just have these, you know, we make up these reasons, you know, whether it's a collection, cause they got to shoot it all with a bow or all with a pistol or who knows what it is. And again, I don't want to knock anybody. If that's your thing, go and do it. Uh, but to me looking at it objectively, it's kind of like, it's the, the animal's life is at that point is not, you're not making it really any harder other than you have to draw the bow as opposed to just click the safety off. Right. Anyways. Right. Um, I, I, I asked that question to kind of lead into this. <clears throat> what do you think? Why do you think that houndsmen still um, struggle to get that message out? You, when you were getting ready to go on the hunt for meat eater, you did research, you talked, you already had some idea what was going to happen there. You talked to people, people, you trusted them. You believed what they were going to, they told you. Why is this message so hard to get out to other 
other ungulant hunters, you know, hoof, hoof game hunters out there, because you commonly see, you know, somebody posts something on the social webs and boom, you've got, you've got so-and-so deer hunter guy that's saying, oh, that's not fair chase. That's not, that's not, that's too easy. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we've, why has it been so hard to get that message out? Oh man. I don't know. I mean, cause honestly, you know, again, it's, it's, it's whatever the message that is prevalent. I, I think without us saying much, um, that's just always been out there because I, you know, before I got interested, interested in hound hunting and before I became a hound hunter, um, I certainly, just like I said earlier, I had a lot of the same misconceptions. You just, uh, all you see on the, the interweb is, a cat in a tree with dogs barking underneath it and whoever, you know, underneath it. And then a picture of them, you know, bear hugging a lion. Right. Um, and maybe that's why, because maybe not enough people show uh, what actually goes into it. And uh, you know, it's a lot of that stuff is just like, it's, it's boring to watch. Right. I mean, that's, it's no different than why hunting TV for so many years focused on the kill shot and mm -hmm. just you know the grip and grain with those big antlers right because that's in the end what people really want to see um and they don't want to see you planting food plots and uh you know the hours you spend with a saw doing mm -hmm. timber stand improvement etc etc on your property right it's just yeah. kind of it, it gets it gets to be boring mm -hmm. and um since it is entertainment and especially if we're talking about making hunting uh whether it's tv or or you know social media right if if you want people to look at it and watch it it's got to be somewhat entertaining and i think so it's sort of a um you know it's a result of 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 that that we're showing stuff because we need you know, the money or, or the clicks or, right. you know, the sponsorship or, or whatever that is. And mm -hmm. so we, we just fail because we don't tell the whole story. Yeah. That's uh it is tough to, and nobody knows it better than you, Giannis with, with producing the show and, and everything, uh, being able to, and meat eaters done an outstanding job of, of telling the whole story of what hunting really is. And it's tough. I mean, we've, we've had several shows pop up and, and drop off, uh, everything from YouTube channels to, you know, uh, trying to do hunting shows on, on a regular basis about hunting with hounds. And, um, you know, there's only so much of walking through crunchy leaves that you can, you can put on a TV show before people are like, I'm not what this is annoying. I'm not watching this, you know, or falling down mm -hmm. sliding down a bank. And so the biggest part of the story or the most entertaining part, a lot of times is at the tree, um, for TV, but it, there, I think there's an opportunity there for houndsmen to rewrite the narrative. You know, I see a lot more houndsmen doing stuff, uh, taking pictures of their kids out alongside the road, uh, while they're waiting on a bear race or they're listening to a bear race and and eat you know just that kind of engagement telling the whole story i see a lot of improvements on that these days yeah that that's good because yeah there's definitely just there's so much more that uh that, that goes on um 
you know, than just that moment. Those, those, those moments are far, few and far between, honestly. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I'll put in, I don't know how many days it's going to end up being, you know, if I get in 50 mornings of checking and ended up catching 10 lions, you know, that's one out of five days going out. That's, it's probably pretty normal, you know? Yeah. I'd like yeah. to say, I'm, I don't even think it's that high of the ratio. I bet it's more like one out of 10 for me right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're doing good. I think you're doing great. Um, so we'll wrap this up, but before we go, I want to get your opinion on a couple of things. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to people out there that, that, maybe getting into hounds or they're considering getting into hounds. Do you have any piece words of wisdom from Giannis Patelis about, Hey, you're, you're thinking about getting a hound. This is what I would do. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm in a position to be doling out any words of wisdom. Yeah. Well, sure but, you are. You're too. How many uh, years you've been, how many years you've been hunting with, with Mingus now? Is this your third season? Yeah. We're in our third season. Yeah. So you've, yeah. you've got some, you've got some miles on, on the, you know, in the, on the journey here. Yeah. So I feel um, like I'm hosting Heath Hyatt's podcast. I keep saying the journey, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> I think that uh, you need to be prepared, uh, you know, persistence and time uh, applied is going to equal success. And so again, you just, I think you have to set your expectations, uh, you know, for someone that, again, can you at least, you know, check tracks once or twice a week, like me all winter, uh, setting those expectations where you still might only catch, you know, two or three. I feel like I've gotten lucky this winter because one day a buddy of mine cut a track and that track turned into two lions. Right. So that really mm -hmm. padded my numbers, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, Hey, you gotta take them like like, no, you exactly. Yeah? You exactly. gotta take them as you get them. And that, it's like a great way. Uh, I, I, I hate to even talk about it, but you know, I know a lot of people that don't even hunt, but they spend a lot of time recreating, uh, around these parts yeah. on snowy trails early in the morning. And all those people, I'm like, look, here's a picture of a mountain lion track. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you see this, call me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you got to work all the angles, you know, but yeah. So just, I think setting expectations. Now we do have uh, coons here and I should probably, I should probably just get a little bit more into it. Um, and if I did and just kind of got some spots dialed, we would probably do it more often because I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The hardest part about coons is that you're like going out, when people are thinking about going to sleep, right? <laughs> you kind of, you gotta be like, all right, kids, like this is going to totally mess up your weekend because we're going <laughs> to be awake until two o'clock in the morning. But, um, what else? Um, yeah, I would say, don't worry about, you know, a lot of people will tell you that oh, some of these and it does might not even be hounds, but any hunting dogs just can't be good family dogs. Um, but Mingus has been great, uh, for us and a well-hunted hound is mm -hmm. a very, I mean, you don't even know he lives in this house. Honestly, if he's been being hunted and if, as long as you took his dog bed and like put it next to a chair and out of sight, you wouldn't know we even have a dog because yeah. he's, he's dead to the world. And you know, when he, when we go hunting that, you know, that's when he wakes up. Right. Um, and so my kids are, you know, 
love all over him. They they love hanging with him. He's a little bit indifferent. You know, he doesn't show the same affection as say a lab does. So if you're looking for a dog that shows a bunch of affection, uh, at least one of Mingus's offspring is not, <laughs> it's just not going to be the dog you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know how your hounds are, but yeah, this guy's kind of indifferent to. Yeah. Same way. It's like, human you know, I'm hungry right now, so you can feed me if you want, you know, I'd like for you to feed me. And, and then the only time they get wound up is when it's, when the, they know though, I mean, when that, when the truck pulls up in front of the kennel and I mean, it doesn't matter. It can be the 20th day in a row. And you get the same reactions, you know, they're standing there at the gate and, and wanting to go, but the rest of the time, pretty chill, pretty chill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that would be about it. I think, yeah. But I think if you're, if you're interested in being serious and being successful, yeah, you're going to have to put in some time. Like this is the first year in a long time where I didn't buy a season ski pass at our local ski resort Really? Because I knew that I wanted to put more time, you know, in and I wouldn't be skiing as many days as I have in the past because I was going to be out looking for tracks and, uh, you know, just got to make some sacrifices. So I still yeah. go and ski, obviously, but I just didn't spend the money to buy the season pass and just. No, buy. now you're I saw your video the other day. You're skiing down like the slope behind your house or something yeah <laughs> that's right that's that's free skiing there it didn't look didn't look very well groomed either there's some some grass sticking up is yeah there's some action skiing there <laughs> um so you said something you know about your network and people calling you and and i think that was a good point having that network but i think you're found something there a gym there and maybe you don't even realize it Giannis. but but when you have a network like that and you can go out and put mangus on those tracks that you know are good tracks mm -hmm. it, it's a stage of development there's when hounds are learning what their job is man i found it so valuable when you can set them up for success you know right. you, and you're not um uh, you can't take a, a a pup out there that's a year old and just free cast him out into the wilderness and expect to be successful. So mm -mm. you're finding ways to to ensure that he has some success that day. And maybe he doesn't tree the lion. Maybe it's maybe it's just a good solid tracking job that day. He put in a lot of effort. He got into the middle of an elk herd and lost the track. And but he he trailed it for you know, an hour, hour and a half. I think mm -hmm. you just have to be very conscious with those training, those young dogs, the more we can set them up for success in the early stages, the better off they'll be. And it sounds like you sure. figured that out. Well, that, yeah, I, I, he, he was lucky that early on we had, I mean, I tell a story a lot. The first time he was, he followed a track to a tree. There was other, there was a pack of walkers there treeing uh, a cat but he didn't put two and two together that the cat was in the tree. And after an hour right. we, we left and Mingus never saw the cat. Um, it wasn't until a week later that we were at another tree and the, it, it's a literal replay of the week before Mingus is running around getting bored because he doesn't know he can't see the cat in the tree. Mm -hmm. He's trying to take the same track that went to the tree. He's trying to run it back away. Right. Or he's playing grab ass with the other dogs there. 
And finally I grabbed his head and just kind of pointed it up towards the tree. And, you know, that's like the moment that it all clicked. Cause he yeah. was like, Holy shit. Look at that. Yeah. There know? he is. <laughs> There's oh, that's what we're doing. That tree. Yeah. So yeah, I think connecting those dots, but now, and again, this comes uh, right back to, you know, my mentor, Jake is he's when I tell him, I said, yeah, we ran like a day old track and, Mingus ran it for, you know, a couple hours and I went in there and where he lost it, I couldn't freshen it up. I couldn't figure out where it went either. And he's like, look, that's yeah. You didn't catch the lion, but Mingus worked, you know, and he tried and he tried and he tried and he, and, and that's the one great thing that Mingus has is he's got, he might not be the fastest dog, but he won't, he literally doesn't give up. Like if Mm -hmm. he's, if you're just letting him free cast and letting him work, he sits there and works and works and works. And eventually you just go, all right, buddy, we got to go. Right. It's not going to happen. Um, so I think the fact that, yeah, that he's, you know, cause I've been uh, with enough other hounds now that there are those hounds that if it's not fresh enough, it's not hot enough, they're hanging out next to you. They're Mm -hmm. not trying to figure out the loss. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a place, time and place for those dogs too, but I like it when mine is like, no, I can, I can find it. (laughs) Give me more time. You know, (laughs) so many times we're our own worst enemies, you know, we go out there and we've got this one hound and we're wanting to, you know, we're wanting to be part of the hunt and, and show off our dog and we let our egos get in the way. And, and instead of looking at the intrinsic values, the little things that went good that way, that day, you know, we we dwell on the fact that we were running this great race and then i caught him off a moose track you know yeah that's not what you want but the first three hours of your day your dog looked like an all-star and at his developmental level for a year old or a year and a half old dog they're gonna do some of that stuff so it's we just have to take it all in and Mm -hmm. and look for those opportunities to to uh, celebrate the successes and and uh, not gloss over the failures. I mean, you don't want a dog that's that's three or four years old that's blowing up lion tracks for everybody. Nobody will let you hunt with them either. But but at the same time, you know, I think you've I think you've hit another key thing. You know, you just stay humble and 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 uh, realize that hey man, my dog did some good work today and we'll get better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, at least he was uh, uh, sniffing a lion track and not a fox track. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yep. So. Well, hey, Giannis, I'd, I'd, one other question, and then I'll wrap it up. What do you like hunting better, bobcats or lions? Ooh, you know, uh, we haven't caught a bobcat yet. Um, in my experience, it, they're a lot harder. Uh-huh. Uh, Mingus has definitely been on – I don't know, probably just this year, three or four different Bobcat tracks and one we caught, but again, he was running with an all-star team of other hounds and, uh, he's actually been on two catches this year, but again, with that same other group of hounds, he's not, whether he could have done it by himself. I don't know. Um, from what I hear, it seems like Bobcats are the, you know, the next level. Um, like like if your dog can catch a Bobcat, they can catch about anything is again, it's, that's what I hear. Right. Um, so I, at this point, I, I like them both equally. Uh, any anything, if I there you get go. to the tree and look up and see a, a cat up there, it's it's a win. Whether it's a 
you know, a 30-pound mountain lion, a 20-pound bobcat, or the 130-pound tom. Right. All right, man. Well, hey, till next time, Giannis, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me Hey, thanks very much.